Bring them out, bring them out, bring them out, bring them out. It's hard to yell when the barrel's in your mouth. Come on. Bring them out, bring them out. Hey. Bring them out, bring them out. Yeah. Bring them out, bring them out. Hey. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Center of Attention. Uh, feels like I haven't talked to just you guys in a long time. It's been about three weeks since I've done a podcast without a guest. Yeah, three weeks. Um, I was home for 16 days for winter break. That was cool. And uh, obviously, you guys have been keeping up with the podcast. I had a few guests on. That's the good part about going home. Um, bad part wasn't actually really a bad part. I mean, the only bad part about break was that we only got 16 days, and then I had to come back for more RA training, which was actually better than I thought it was going to be. Uh, normally, I don't enjoy just sitting there and getting lectured on housing policy. I've been in RA here at Western for, you know, two years now it'll be two years in may and i know pretty much all the policies i've dealt with a lot of different things that i'd never thought that i would have to deal with in college and uh yeah so it's not it wasn't bad i, I did learn some stuff and i got to expand my horizons a little bit got to meet the new people that are on the staff that i didn't have that great of a relationship with since i wasn't ever at a staff event um, I was only actually at one. We have an in-service as an entire residence life staff about once a month. And just so happened that I got sick on the one on the week that it was supposed to be the first one. My health scare happened before the first in-service. Then the next one was canceled um, for pretty unfortunate reasons. Uh, I'm not going to go into detail, but there was a student on campus who did uh, commit suicide. And so we had to... Um, we had to cancel that in service. And then the last one was the only one that I was able to make it to. So it was nice to get to meet the different people. We have new resident directors, got to know them a little bit better. They got to know me a little bit better. I think overall the trip was good. Um, just, just on that, we did do about 24 hours at, it's called the Juanita hot springs over here on the West side of Monarch. And, uh, it's about 40 miles outside of town. You, there's a turnoff of Highway 50 if you're familiar with the area. And then you basically keep going until you run into a pretty nice... They look like what, what cowboy houses would have would have been like. So went out there and there's no cell phone service. Which as a person who's grown up basically around a cell phone in his entire life and have had... I've like I said, I've basically been having a cell phone, never really been out of cell phone service except for planes and um, yeah, that's, that's basically pretty much it. And um, got to just kind of hang out, chill out. Didn't go swimming this year. Um, if you listen to the episode with Lauren on it, you know I've I've been struggling with my contacts. I've gotten better, I've gotten a lot better, both putting them in and taking them out. But I also didn't want to have to go back and forth when I was over at Juanita and go into the hot springs. So didn't swim, but had a good time. Got to uh, learn a little bit about everybody. And, uh, yeah, it was a overall a good trip. And then when we got back here, it was basically we did like a conference-style training this year instead of uh, 
everybody going to the same lectures, we would have choices. Each resident resident director set up a different um, presentation during the block of time that we were supposed to be in, in session. So that was pretty cool. Um, picked up a few different techniques, not just for being a resident assistant, but also just relationships in general. Um, radical candor is one that sticks out. Basically, you just say whatever's on your mind. You don't hold anything back. Don't let anything slide. Um, it's basically it, holding people accountable and holding yourself accountable along with that. So that was good. And uh, I'm glad that w I was able to do that. It was, like I said, a lot of fun. So yeah, and then we pretty much flew by. Did finally get to get back on the radio last weekend. Um, if you follow me on Twitter or follow the Quisby Sports page that I run as a sports director here at the station, you knew that we were going to be broadcasting the uh, two basketball games last weekend, which I wasn't expecting to, which is why I didn't say anything until about Thursday, I think, is when I got the text from the person who had signed up to be the engineer um, for the weekend and sent out a text to my co-broadcaster, my broadcast partner, Jacob Swatsky, and he was in town and was really looking forward to being able to broadcast those games. And they were really good games, all four of them. Uh, men's and women's had back-to-back -back, uh, games, doubleheaders, um, Saturday, Friday night and Saturday night. And both teams played really well. It was a um, good weekend of broadcasting. If you listened, we were on the RMAC network as well. So if you were watching on the RMAC network, you were able to uh, hear us call the basketball games. Um, trying to figure out how I'm going to edit that down to a five, like five to ten minutes of highlights. Um, Got to separate the games because they were recorded all as one recording. So they're about six hours long between the two of them and uh it should be good i think that you know jacob started off he was brand new to broadcasting i obviously had been brand new before and was really helped out a lot by christian saez the guy who pretty much got me into the radio station working with broadcasting got me the job as the sports director last year and uh he he really helped me out so i Wanted to do that with Jacob, and I think, do think he's getting a lot better. We work really well on the broadcast together, um, and it was it was a lot of fun. Uh, so overall, last week was a pretty good week, and uh, kind of got to settle back in before school started, which is the nice thing about being back before everybody else, because uh, it's been a long time since I've been able to just come back from a winter break on Sunday and have to go back to classes uh, that Monday. But it was a good, good light, good little transition period, um, back into classes, and now I'm in full swing into my last semester of college, which, in my mind, sounds crazy. I don't feel like I'm about to finish a goal that I, I'd set out to do. Um, a long time ago. I can't even remember the first time that I knew I, I needed to go to college. My parents had obviously been really pushing me towards that. Um, I enjoyed school enough that I did want to go and get a, get a degree. Uh, not necessarily because I, I do want to go into broadcasting. Now there's podcasting and you don't necessarily need a degree to get into that field. It, it helps. Obviously, it helps everything. But the main thing that I, I think p 
people can take away, even if you're not necessarily going to college and going wanting to go into a field that needs a degree, it shows an, a future employer that you are resilient in that you're able to go through another four years of schooling. You sought out extra schooling past of what is required of you. You only have to graduate high school. Technically, you don't even really have to graduate high school. But I think that the resiliency that going through college shows is a big reason why a bachelor's degree is basically necessary to get into the job market at this point. This is, um, it's the bachelor's degree is becoming less and less valuable just because so many different people have it. So different fields require more advanced degrees than others, but just getting that bachelor's degree, getting something that proves you were able to go through four years of school and be successful to the point where you get to graduate from a university or college, depending on wherever you decide to go, I think is a big step. And if you don't take, take anything that you learn from school, you at least take the life experience that you learn being in a new place, living on your own for four years. That's a huge thing. As a resident assistant, I see a lot of people who can't handle the autonomy that comes when you come here to school and nobody's watching out for you. Nobody's making sure you're going to class. You basically the leader of your own life at that point. And if you don't show up, you don't show up. Nobody's going to come calling for you. Um, and it's a big thing to learn. And I'm not going to lie, I struggled with it too. I, I was uh, a pretty big shithead my first few semesters. I was more focused on football than school and uh, took about three semesters, about halfway through my sophomore year when uh, my parents finally got through to me. Um, they basically had to threaten living at home again and going to Metro Denver. So I, I did get myself in the gear and now over break, our grades actually came out and this is the highest semester GPA that I've had in college. Uh, I had one A minus, all the rest B pluses. And it also moved my cumulative back up to a 3.0, which was a goal of mine ever since I kind of refocused myself back into school. So yeah, starting the last semester, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a lighter schedule, I would say. But there are d different parts of it that are difficult. I mean, Monday, I have nothing. I have at 8 a.m. And then I have nothing else after that. I do have a one-on-one -on -one with my resident director, Joel, um, who also has a podcast. Shout out to Joel's podcast, Shots on Goal. He uh, is trying to learn about sports. And uh, he had me on to talk about NCAA athletics and payment and just kind of how student-athletes um, are able to get through school. So sh go check his podcast out. It's available on all the different podcast platforms, Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcasts. And uh, it's a good podcast to listen to. He has a lot of different people on, and he knows where he stands as a sports fan. So he doesn't overpower the conversations, and he does ask questions. So if you're not a sports fan but want to start learning about it, I, I highly recommend his podcast. But I have a one-on-one -on -one with him after my 8 a.m. from 9 to 10, pretty much. And then I have nothing else to do the rest of Monday. Um, didn't necessarily want that to be the way that it was. I don't enjoy having an 8 a.m. Haven't had an 8 a.m. since I was a freshman. No, I haven't had an 8 a.m. since I was a soft, excuse me, a sophomore. So 
it is a little bit different getting up before the sun comes up nowadays since we're in the later half of the year but it'll be good um, depending on when I get scheduled in if I do get a broadcasting job that'll be good for me to be getting up now and then Tuesday I have at 9:30, my com capstone which is basically just like the senior class we're gonna build a online portfolio that I can send people to that'll have all my broadcasting highlights all the talk shows that I've done over the past year that are uh, uploaded to SoundCloud um, and then it'll also have my resume my proof of graduation um, and then contact information it's basically a, a website resume that an employer can just go look at instead of me having to send him to different places or send him send them audio highlights or anything like that so that's what my 9 30 is on tuesday then 11 and this is going to sound weird and i thought that i was just not paying attention when i was registering for classes um i am in a low-flying trapeze class and it's uh it's a lot funnier if i was able to tell you that in person because i love seeing the look on people's faces um when i signed up for the class it didn't have a title yet it was just com 317 i needed an extra upper division credit in com so i was going to take it no matter what it was and the theater director now that's at the school that was hired recently used to run a dance studio in in new york and when he was doing his master's degree at the denver conservatory he took a low-flying trapeze movement and dance class. And they are going to do Midsummer's Night Dream this semester for the play. And I think he's going to try and involve trapeze into the play. So he decided that he wanted to teach a class because Western's theater program is growing and it is it's very good for a smaller college that isn't necessarily known for their theater program. So... He knew that there was going to be interest, and uh, I was one of the people who signed up before that was announced, and then about a week before last semester ended, he sent out an email to everybody who had signed up saying what the class was going to be, which was the first time I think the title was announced, which is Movement in Low-Flying Trapeze. Um, And uh, then he emailed me directly because I, I must not look like I'm into trapeze and interpretive dance on the trapeze and asked me if I knew what I was getting myself into. I said, yeah, I got your last email. The only thing that I, uh, the only question I have is I'm about 250 pounds. That's what I was when I was emailing him back and was wondering if the trapeze was going to be able to hold me. Cause in my experience of watching people do this kind of stuff, they're not necessarily big. They're not necessarily bulky. I happen to be both, uh, my mom calls me Laquisha because my, my ass is that thick. Um, if you were going to spell out thick to describe my ass, I would say you needed to use about three or four C's. So I emailed him back, said that. He said, that's fine. The only things that I ask normally for people who want to take the class are, do you have any previous dancing experience? And um, are you flexible? Can you touch your toes in a sitting position? which I was sitting in my desk chair and in from that sitting position, I bent down and touched my toes because that's obviously easier than what he was really meaning. And, uh, that was the fun for the first night of break when I was home and telling everybody that I was going to be in a low flying trapeze class and showed them that I can touch my toes in a sitting position. 
And uh, for as smart as I think I am, for as smart as everybody else in my family might think I am, I was pretty much a blonde moment at that point. So uh, they all said that I was I was doing it wrong. I can still touch my toes in the actual sitting position, basically like the hamstring stretch that you do sitting down. So I didn't have a problem with that. And then yesterday when I when we went there, it's it's good with. Uh, I would say the biggest thing that I've taken away from my time here at Western is being able to diversify my friend groups and who I talk to. Uh, being coming in here as a football player, I can talk to the athletes, basically any athlete on campus. I know what they've been going through because I went through football for four years here as well. And uh, so I, I can talk to them. I've been able to talk to them. I've been an athlete my entire life. So I can talk to all the athletes on campus. And then in calm, you have people who are interested in athletics, like I would say a Christian Saez was, where he's a broadcaster for sports, played baseball in high school, um, got injured. So he didn't continue on with his sporting career after high school, but still understood that and then um coming into the radio station it, our station is not a sports centric station so we have shows that include I- interpretive music um and all that kind of thing so there are people that aren't necessarily athletes or interested in athletics and i had pride myself on being able to have a conversation with them and work well with them so that's good and then as a resident assistant RAs aren't all athletes. I'm actually, there is normally a, um, there's normally a wrestler who's a resident assistant. So there are athletes on staff, but not everybody is one. A lot of people do it because they wanted to fill out their time being a student and nothing else is a little bit boring. It obviously helps financially because you get your room and board paid for and that kind of thing. But going into this low flying trapeze class, I had never had a class with theater majors in college, or I probably did, but since it wasn't a theater class, they weren't as excited as they were yesterday. I'm not judging anybody in that class. I think they're all very nice. They're all great yesterday, but uh, they are a different breed. That's that's all I'm going to say there. Nothing in common with me. I, I, I love musical theater. That's one of the things not many people know about me. And I do enjoy musical theater a lot. And and these people are just so much further out there than I ever thought I was. And uh, getting up on the trapeze bar with a repaired labrum in my left shoulder and being sore from working out and lifting and obviously being nervous about... It's something that I've never done. I've never danced and I've never done uh, what I would classify as like a stunt man thing on the trapeze so it was interesting it ended up going well enough and the professor is good about it uh Steve Hughes the best way I could describe him is if you ever watched the Nickelodeon show Victorious and you know their acting teacher Mr. Psychowitz his personality matches up just perfectly with with Mr. Psychowitz. He he is the same amount of high energy, the same amount of does not give a fuck what he says. Uh, we have to be barefoot for the class. And one of the girls was talking about how she can, she judges people based off of their feet and how their feet look. And then he told us a story about being on the subway in New York. And some woman saw that he had 
quote unquote nice feet and uh had to decide whether or not he wanted to go with her to uh you know do what he described as a fetishy night um or stay back and and go to his actual stop when he was living in new york so that's that's the professor of the class and uh he was very good about letting everybody know this is basically a try what you want to try. You're not trying to hurt anybody, not trying to get anybody injured, um, not trying to freak anybody out, and we won't be graded on anything that we attempt. We will be graded on participation and engagement with the class and acting like we want to be there, but if we, uh, if we don't want to do a certain movement, can't do a certain movement, it's not going to be a huge deal. We uh, the final for that class is actually going to be a entire dance. The entire class is going to choreograph choreograph a dance and uh, with involving the trapeze and other parts, based set to some inspiration, uh, like a poem or a song or something like that. So that's what I have to look forward to in that class, and uh, that's basically the most interesting class that I've had so far. And I have that Tuesdays and Thursdays. Uh, at 11 so that'll be a, a nice shake up if i get tired of my capstone classes because i have a capstone uh tuesday after that class from 2 to 4:40, and i have a capstone before that class uh for calm if i get tired of those classes or i had a bad day in those classes i think the trapeze class will do a do nicely it's breaking up my day and making sure that it's not monotonous um but yeah, that was basically the most interesting thing, most out of character thing I think that I've done so far being back here at school. Um, and I did finally tell um, the coaches that were there over the weekend, they were at the basketball game. I told them that um, physically my body will allow me to be able to play if I wanted to. But after everything that happened mentally, I don't think that I'm necessarily prepared to go back and play so I, I am going to be graduating this semester and finishing up I finally told the coaches that um, and so far everybody's been great I still have to tell the head coach he didn't get back from his recruiting trip until today so I'm not avoiding it necessarily I am a little nervous as to how he's going to react because it is a big deal and not, not just I, I wasn't starting but I don't know I from my perspective, I feel like I did help the team out. I was always volunteering to do scout team to give the defense the look that they needed. I took it upon myself to know our offensive scheme for the week, and I've basically done that for the past four years since I got here and traveled as a red shirt. So I think that I've done as much as I can do with football, and now I'm ready to move forward into the next phase of life, and um, I'm hoping that everybody is on board with me and understands what is going to what is going on in my head and my reasoning for not coming back and playing um but yeah that's basically the gist of what's been happening since i got back um I, i've been watching catching up on tv shows um i was really into you on netflix um Last year, the first season came out. It's a psychological thriller. Um, might talk about that a little bit more in detail during this episode, but absolutely, hands down, one of the best shows that I've ever watched, period. Um, it's a great, great show. 
And as somebody who is taking communications classes and has learned all the different directing and editing tricks that you can do, I kind of like to watch shows and predict what's going to happen. That show keeps me spinning 98% of the time. It it gives me 2% of the time where I can guess what's going to happen and I do predict it correctly. But most of the time, it, it just throws me for a loop. So caught up on that. The second season came out um this year and was able to finish that finish that last night actually i'm recording this uh about two i started about 1 30 uh, on wednesday and this is going to come out tomorrow um so finished that last night and then monday night the our sra for my resident life residence life staff turned 21 and she wanted to have a gathering of all her friends, and we have a very close staff, so uh, I ended up being inv- one of the people invited and got to go to the bars and hang out with Dana while she was celebrating her big birthday, and um, that was a lot of fun, actually. Uh, it was good to be away from campus and be able to see everybody in a different environment, get to show a little bit different side of my personality, too, and it's always fun to celebrate her 21st birthday. And I haven't had that with a sibling yet. So this was the closest that I could get to um, being a bad influence to a sibling on their birthday. So uh, that's that was good on Monday. And then today, actually, we just got done with our first episode of Gunnison Sports Talk Radio being back this semester. Um, Tyler Sexton, who was on the show last year, is coming back and is going to be on the show for the remainder of the year. And uh, we'll see if I can convince him to be back on the radio next year because I do think Gunnison Sports Talk Radio is something that should continue on after we leave. I think that the sports side of this station is very good and we've been very we, – we've been awarded for our, our excellence the last couple years as the back-to-back best broadcast of a live sporting event for a small market station at the CBA awards. So that's, it's definitely improved since Christian got here and started moving it in the right direction. And then obviously handing me the keys. I don't think that I've done a terrible job this year. We'll see what happens if we can repeat this award. We did submit two of our broadcasts from earlier this year. And, uh, that'll be probably announced in February as to whether or not I need, I get to go home for a weekend, go home to Denver, and uh, it'll be cool because I haven't been able to go to the CBA Awards yet because we've always been in the middle of spring ball during them, and I've heard nothing but good things about the banquet, and then my family would get to see me be recognized for my passion and what I want to do for the rest of my life. So I really do am hoping against uh, all odds, trying to keep myself even keel about it, but I do really want to win this award. And uh, that's pretty much the gist of everything that's going to be happening for me this semester. Um, Glad you guys enjoyed last week's episode with Nico. I'm glad I got to record one with him before I had to come back. And it actually worked out pretty well because I don't think I would have had enough time to record a podcast before last Thursday. And I don't want to have you guys go without a podcast a week. Um we're almost at 200 plays, which I was looking at last night. It's insane that we're almost at that many plays. Five episodes in, and we have an established audience of about 25 to 30 people listening to each episode. Some of them are a little bit higher. Some of them are a little bit lower. It's just great. 
I've wanted to do one of these for so long and I get to talk about sports on the radio, obviously, and that's all well and good, but I have a lot of other interests outside of sports and this is my platform to be able to talk about all those different things. And it's, uh, something that it's, it's actually, I would say it's humbling knowing that we're getting so close to 200 plays that people are listening. People are enjoying um, crazy statistic I found out last week looking at my dashboard on Anchor is that I have a listener in the in the Netherlands. Somebody in Amsterdam, for whatever reason, stumbled across center of attention with my Memoji. If you, obviously, if you're listening to the show, you get to see that. Stumbled across the podcast banner, um, read the description, and seemed like he wanted to try it out. And uh, when he did, that was basically... It's just crazy because you don't think about it when you're recording in Gunnison in such a desolate place when basically all you think that are going to people, all the people that are going to want to listen are your family and friends. You don't think that somebody is going to be picking it up across the world in in another time zone. And it's just, uh, you forget sometimes how much of a reach social media and podcasts. I, I kind of count podcasts as a form of social media have and, and how widespread everything is. So that was cool to learn um, yes, this past week. And uh, thank you guys for continuing to support the show. It makes me feel good that I, I take an hour, hour and a half out of my day and then edit it together and put it out for you guys that you are listening. So I do appreciate it. You're listenership does not go unnoticed and i wish i could give every each and every one of you a hug and thank you personally i can't do that so i'll just thank you as a group we'll have to come up with what we want my uh fans group name to be uh one of the podcasts i listen to the fighter and the kid has the fighter and the kid army um that's probably the best one that i've heard but uh we'll come up with something uh, i'm thinking about my my nickname is the italian stallion i have it tattooed on my chest um uh, started in high school and has kind of continued because I am very outspoken about my love for the Rocky and the Rocky franchise. Uh, maybe you guys are uh, my stable of stallions and that might be something. Um, if you come up with a better one, tweet at me at Jimmy Pilato on Twitter or direct message me on Twitter or Instagram. And if you have something better, we'll roll with, we'll, we'll, we will roll with that and I'll give you a shout out on the podcast, the, the following podcast from when you send me the message. So like I said, I appreciate and love all you guys. And, uh, this is one of my favorite things to do and I'm getting better at it. I think each podcast episode has gotten better and better. And, uh, it's, uh, going to be something that I hopefully continue to do for a long time, no matter where I end up. Cause as a person who's trying to get into the sports media industry, it's a tough industry to break into. So I'm kind of open to going anywhere, wherever I end up. You can always count Thursdays, 9 a.m., uh, that there's going to be a center of attention podcast for you guys because I don't want to – I know how I feel when a podcast that I enjoy listening to doesn't put out an episode, and I don't want to make you guys feel like that. I want to be consistent. I want to be entertaining, and I uh, want to keep growing this fan base and keep growing this podcast. So if you are a loyal listener and have listened for a while, 
share the podcast on your social media, word to mouth, tell your friends about it, because that's basically how we can grow this thing um, and get more people and more people to continue listening. So the part of part of the responsibility is on you. It's on me is on me. Obviously, I'm the one who started this. I'm the one who basically decided to put myself out there. This is one of the most intimate platforms that you can be involved in as you're I'm basically just talking in your ear right now. And it's uh, so it's a nerve wracking experience. And as an artistically minded person, I would say um, a lot of the times you feel like whatever you put out, nobody's going to like you have your self doubts. Nobody's going to listen. Nobody's going to listen. And then when you guys do show up and the plays show up in my, um, in my analytics, it, it does make me feel good. So thank you again for that. Now, going back to you, not you as a listener, you, the TV show on Netflix. If you have not watched the show, there's, I'll give you a spoiler alert now. I'm going to try not to spoil as much as possible because I think that everybody should give this show a chance. And I think everybody, if you're a fan of psychological thrillers, I've basically been talking about this the entire week that I've been back. I was on Ray McClintock's show here in Gunnison, Voice of the Valley on KWSB on Monday. Talked about it there. Um, like I said, this is one of the shows that has kept me on my heels basically the entire time that I've watched it. And what it is is it basically follows what seems to be a normal guy at first. He lives in New York, is the manager of a bookstore that he worked at. His guardian was the original owner of the bookstore, and they sell rare books. So they have a basically like a cage down in the basement because when a book is written in 1805 or whatever, it needs a specific set of conditions to be able to continue to be read as it goes on. So he has one of those in the basement in the bookstore, and that's already a little off-putting because it's New York, it's in an older building, and then you have something like that where you don't necessarily think that he can put a person in there at first, but trust me, he puts a lot of people in this thing. Not only in the first season, he goes and when he moves at the end of the first season, wherever he ends up, he builds another one, an exact replica of the bookcase that he had in New York. So it starts off with this seemingly normal guy, kind of hipsterish. Obviously, he works in a bookstore. He's a huge reader. That's evident because all he does is quote different books. Um, and uh, one day he's in the bookstore and a woman walks in and he takes a liking to her, which is not out of the ordinary. It's a little bit old school in the ways that we meet people now compared to the ways we meet people nowadays. Um, and he, she gives him her credit card and his rationalization in his mind was she gave me her credit card because I know that she has the cash to pay for this book, but she gave me her credit card because she wants me to know her name. So he takes the name from the credit card, searches it on social media. And this is where I think it's actually really relevant to the landscape of today. He takes her name and searches it in social media and then basically figures out everything because she's one of the people who overshares her life on on Facebook and Instagram. So he finds out everything that he could ever want to know about her. Who she's dating at the time, or loosely dating, I guess. Who her best friends are, who her father was, 
where she's studying at school. She was in a MFA program in, at a school in New York and um, where she lives. And I, I'll give away what his psychological disorder is. He's a obsessive compulsive, not an obsessive compulsive. He is a serial stalker and murderer. As, as the show continues through the first season, he kind of the show kind of tells you he had a girlfriend before he met Beck. Things didn't go well. He was cheated on. And the show tries to convey without showing you or without saying it explicitly that he did kill his ex-girlfriend. Um, that's about as much as I could say about that. So there, there's this tension the entire time. And he's very manipulative and there's some sort of, in the first season it's not as as readily available, but in the second season it really goes does a good job of showing the depths of his psychological disorder and why he is the way that he is. His mother was not very attentive and um, had an abusive father that his mom continued to cheat on while she was out with him and when they came back. The father would burn him with cigarettes trying to get the information from him about where his mom was and what she was doing. So that's the uh, that's that's backstory on why he is the way that he is. In the first season, it really dives into the original owner of the bookstore. And when he would do something, mess up, or read a book and not understand it correctly, the guy would put him in the cage. So that's why he's as comfortable as he is putting people in the cage because that was the way he was punished as a kid. Now, moving through the first season, a lot of different things happen and the circumstances at the end of the first season are such that he needs to get away from where he was originally. That puts him in Los Angeles because he's hiding from somebody and in his own words, when you're hiding from somebody, the best place to go is where the, is the last place that you think they would look for you, which for him, he hates Los Angeles, hates everything Los Angeles stands for. So that's his perfect hiding spot. Goes there, kind of seems like he regrets what he did, does have a lot of guilt and remorse about everything that happened in the first season with him and uh, Beck, who is the girl from the first season. And it seems like he's talking about love as a concept because throughout the entire show, it's told in the first person. So he narrates parts that don't have any dialogue or when he's just walking around, he does have narration going. Um, and he's talking about love and he keeps saying love makes him blind. Love runs his life when he does find it. So he, he needs to take a break so that he can figure out what's wrong with him and why everything in, around him in his life has gone the way that it has. This is one of the reasons why I love this show and why I was able to finish the second season in about a week. At the end of the first episode of the second season, it is revealed that not only is he still stalking people, but the love that he had been talking to was a girl that he met in Los Angeles, who is named Love. So you think, oh, here we go again. And then the second season is a completely different tone from the first. It's a completely different vibe. Um, 
there's side plots and everything. I would really, really can't recommend the show enough. If you are a fan of psychological thrillers, if you have a Netflix account or use your ex-girlfriend or boyfriend's Netflix account, search this up, put it in their queue, watch it yourself, then tell them, hey, I'm still on your account, but you should really watch this show. And this is why you can argue why you should stay on their account because they will love it if they're a fan of psychological thrillers. That's that's basically the the gist of it. That's why I I have been um, that's what I've been doing in my free time since school just started. Don't have a lot of homework at the at the moment, so that's that's what I've been um, looking looking forward to. Just finished it last night. Hopefully, in another couple weeks after I feel like the time period of spoilers have gone down. Um, I'll be able to talk about it a little bit more in detail, but if you are a fan of the show and you, and you a fan of you and you're a listener of the podcast, go ahead and direct message me. We can talk about it. I need somebody to talk to. I watched the first episode with my, or first season, excuse me, with my younger brother, Dom, who was on the podcast a few weeks ago, and he's not keeping up this on this season. So I have tons of, tons of theories, tons of stuff that I want to talk about. And uh, I have to wait another entire year for the third season to come out, which I have theories on, and I think it's going to be the wrap-up season. Um, but I have to wait until 2021 for that to happen. So I need to talk about this show. If you're a fan of you on Netflix and you're a fan of my podcast, please direct message me on social media, and we can talk about it and get all of the... Uh, I guess we basically have our own subreddit conversation um, in, in in the direct messaging platforms on social media. And then the other, I guess the other big news that's going on this week, obviously there's the UFC fight this weekend. Not a great card, but there's a huge fight. If you're uh, from Colorado, you know and love Donald Cowboy Cerrone. He's basically been the banner guy ever since uh, Shane Carwin and... Nate Marquardt stopped fighting for Colorado fighters in the UFC. He's fighting Conor McGregor, who's coming back after um, his last fight against Khabib and, and the fight before that against Mayweather. So it's a big weekend for combat sports, but I kind of wanted to talk about um, Luke Keekley retiring because it was kind of a surprise. Nobody really expected it. He's only 28, only played eight seasons and was still playing at a really high level, one of the best linebackers of the past generation of players of all time. And he decided, he announced last night through a video that he released on Twitter that it was time for him to retire and step away from the game of football. Now, originally I was shocked, didn't know if this was real, and then ended up finding the video that he posted on his personal Twitter account that was retweeted by the Carolina Panthers. And... My initial reaction was maybe he was hurt and nobody understood. Maybe he was fed up with the ownership. Or maybe, like he says in his video, maybe he was just burnt out and couldn't play the way that he wanted to anymore because he did start playing at a very young age. He says it in the video. He started playing when he was in fourth grade, which is a little bit later than some. But, I mean, he was nine and he, he would have been nine in fourth grade and played all the way through till he was 28. So that's a lot of football, a lot of seasons where you're getting hit in your head, you're getting little injuries, nagging injuries on your body, and you 
start to kind of see is this still worth it am I still able to play the way that I want to I obviously want to play at a, at the highest level that I can am I still able to do that and I think that his reasoning was partially based on that but there's also some little rumors going around that he wasn't a fan of the ownership after they fired a guy like Ron Rivera who is who led them to a Super Bowl has been a great coach and his he's been his coach the entire time he's been in the NFL and they go and hire a coach out of college who has had a lot of success but we've seen what happens when coaches from college go to the NFL not necessarily guaranteed that they're going to do well not as easy to turn around a college program or turn around an NFL team as it is to turn around a college program go ask Nick Saban Ask Nick Saban why he has so many national championship rings. He'll tell you that it's because he couldn't coach in the NFL because the guys don't respond to his coaching style. And he doesn't have, the other rumor that's going around is that he doesn't have as good of a relationship with Cam Newton as a lot of people once thought. So, he is the second linebacker in the past decade to retire before he turned 30. Patrick Willis for the 49ers was the other one. And now he... There's the talk going around, and what I keep saying, and we talked about it earlier today on Gunnison Sports Talk Radio with Tyler and Rev, I'm nervous to see how the media act reacts and how the NFL fan bases react because there is this thing, for whatever reason, if you've never played sports or if you're just a, f- a fan of professional sports, you start to see players not as human beings, but just as a commodity that you are entitled to seeing play every week or however often the the team that you follow plays. And people seem to forget that these guys are human. They have feelings. Their bodies hurt just like everybody else's, except probably a little bit more because uh, unlike Luke Keekley, Terry, who works in marketing at whatever company, doesn't run through a brick wall, a 300-pound human brick wall trying to take his head off to make a tackle a hundred times a game, 60 times a game, whatever it is. And with the way people reacted to Andrew Luck's retirement, where he was literally booed off the field where he had been so successful, given those fans so much to cheer about, basically given up two years of his life rehabbing his arm that was about to fall off so that he can throw a football again and be a quarterback again. And he retired after winning Comeback Player of the Year. People were pissed off for no reason. Andrew Luck's a great person. He's a great guy. All he did was care about the team and the fans. But at some point, people's people's bodies being hurt are too much for them to continue justifying playing. So I, as somebody who's played college football in the NCAA... Granted, it's not as high of a level as where Keekly played, but I do know that football takes a big toll on your body. It takes at least two weeks after the season just so that you feel normal again so that you can start gearing up to get prepared for the next season. These guys, yeah, we only see them play 16, possibly 19 games if they make it all the way to the Super Bowl. But that doesn't mean that they're not doing everything year-round so that they can stay in the best shape, be able to earn these big-ass contracts that people are pissed off already that they are getting because they don't think that they're worth it. But if you are a business person, you know that revenue generation does increase market value. And right now, the NFL is the biggest revenue 
revenue stream in the entire country. So these people are are forgetting all of this. It's not just that he has he doesn't want to go through another training camp. I wouldn't want to go through another training camp, and I haven't even been through one. Being out there in Carolina in August for two-a-day practices where you're hitting, hitting in the morning, and then as a linebacker, you go in shells in the afternoon. Oh, it's a lighter practice. Not really. NFL, or excuse me, linebackers and linemen, if it's, if it's half shells, if you're just in shoulder pads, it's the same damn practice. You do the same exact thing. The only thing is you can't cut, which you shouldn't be cutting in practice anyways because you can hurt your teammates. I am perfectly 110% fine that Luke Keekley decided it, it was his time to hang it up. Surprised, not going to say that I'm not surprised, but I am okay with what was going on. I think that he did the right thing, did, went about it the right way, and... It's obviously a tough thing for him. He's been playing for 19 years. He's been playing for a long time. It's what he loved to do. You have to love it to be able to make it to the NFL. You have to be gifted. One, you have to be athletically gifted or be able to work yourself into a good enough athlete to play. And then you have to love it to be able to go through the grind year after year after year. So I have no problem with him being ready to, to hang it up. I had no problem with Andrew Luck being ready to hang it up. And fans need to re- remember, there, there's this thing going around fan entitlement syndrome that a lot of people are seeing when you, you saw it a lot with LeBron, and I have my own issues with LeBron. I'm not necessarily the biggest LeBron fan, but when he wanted to leave Cleveland and go somewhere else, and you're burning a jersey because of it? Who the hell are you? He worked his entire life. He made it from a place where he could bear, his family could barely afford groceries when he was a kid to now him, his kids, and his kids' kids are going to be set up and be successful in their life because of all the hard work that he's put in. So what? He wanted to leave a team that wasn't yours. I know a lot of people that still stuck with him because they like him as a person, and he's doing great things in the Ohio community with inner city kids, with his schools that he's just opened up. Athletes are not just athletes, they are people too. And fans are not entitled to see them put themselves through hell week in and week out just because they're fans and they paid for a ticket. Well, I spent my money, I pay part for his salary. No, you don't. No, you do not. He gets a portion of he gets a portion of the team's revenue. He gets a portion of the money that is made from the Merchandise sales, if it has his name on the back of it, he will get a good portion of that in the NFL. Now, we can talk about college, and that's an entirely different story. So, yes, he does see parts of the money that you do give to him, buying a ticket, buying a jersey, but you don't get to see where that money is spent in the rehab in the offseason. In the rehab during the season, if you do get hurt, and he has been hurt before, these, these guys spend a lot of money. Their body is basically their job resume. They have to keep their body right as long as they want to play. And at, at some point, it gets too financially draining that it, it isn't worth going through again. And I can tell you, rehabbing an injury sucks. You would much rather if people were given the opportunity to compete in Division One college football if they got a chance to go through, let's say, two weeks of practice. So the two weeks of fall camp, which is where a lot of people do get injured because it is a grind. Your body's not used to being 
under the stress of playing the game because you've been out of it for so long. I guarantee you people would rather suffer through the two practices than to be hurt and have to do their rehab during fall camp. If you truly love the team and you want to compete and be out there with your teammates, that's not only physically draining on your body because you have to go through extra workouts just to build your body back up to it. It's mentally draining because emotionally, you know you're letting your teammates down. It may not be it may be out of your control. It may not really be you letting them down, but in if you care about the guys that you're playing with, that is what you are going going to think of. It doesn't matter how hurt you are. It doesn't matter you can't walk because you dislocated your knee and tore your ACL. Athletes are a different kind of person, and if you truly love the guys that you play with, You'll do anything for it. My dad blew his knee, blew his, tore his ACL his senior year of college. Now he needed to continue to play so that he can finish out school, but he wasn't taping up his leg just just for the hell of it. T- taping his leg at a 90-degree angle so that he could go out and long snap because he was the only t- guy on the team that they trusted to long snap. He was doing it because he wanted to be out there. He truly loved the game, and... You want to get it back out there and be able to compete with your brothers who you who you've grinded with for that long. If you're a fan and you think that you're entitled to see who you want to compete just because you buy a ticket, you're the problem. You're part of the problem. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. You are part of the problem. You're part of the reason why these athletes, when they they do get in trouble because they don't, the fans that are entitled and think that they are entitled to see their favorite players play are also contributing and putting these guys up on a pedestal to where they think that they're untouchable. Now it's not just, I'm not blaming the fans for everything, every person who's ever gotten in trouble that still plays in the NFL because it's obviously their problem too. A lot of people have problems and a lot of people who play in the NFL or the NBA come from nothing and now they are signing a contract in the NBA, you can sign a contract at 18, 19, and you're getting millions and millions of dollars when you've had nothing. Who wouldn't blow it on something stupid? Who wouldn't do something stupid because they don't know how to handle it? So I do think that the entitled fan is not just bad because they are expecting these guys to go through hell just to entertain the fans, but they're also bad because they put these guys on a pedestal to the point where they think that they're untouchable. And this is a longer rant than I expected to go on talking about this, but it it is definitely necessary because these guys hurt themselves and deserve the same adulation. They deserve respect for what they've put their bodies through, what they've done to get to where they are. So much so that if you think that he's uh, a pussy or you think that he's just scared and doesn't want to play anymore, you think that he's an asshole because he doesn't want to suit up for your Carolina Panthers anymore, you're part of the problem. Okay, transitioning now to the UFC fight. This is going to be, I think this is going to be a very interesting fight. I, I'm not going to be able to watch it, unfortunately. We do have... Um, basketball games, and then I'm going to be on duty as a for Res Life this weekend. So I, I've got a pretty busy weekend ahead of me. I won't be able to find time to go somewhere and, and watch the fight or um, watch it with Rev. 
because I know he's going to be watching it. He has the ESPN Plus. He'll he'll definitely be watching uh, an event of this size. But I do want to talk about it because it has one of the more interesting storylines surrounding it. Connor was the biggest star in combat sports history. Made the most money and has the most bought pay-per-view of all time in his rematch with Nick D- Nate, Nate Diaz. Not Nick Diaz. But he's recently been in the news for bad things. Uh, punched that old guy in the bar and had those sexual assault allegations, which I believe were proven to be false. So um, that's part of the detriment of being as famous as he was, is that people try and extort you for false information, but he was found innocent of those claims. But he's also just been kind of a shithead with since he, he won the titles and then fought Mayweather. And I think that he started to believe a little bit too much in his own kind of persona so he he had the dolly incident when he was fighting khabib and then you go out and you get manhandled by khabib um don't train for the fight and people are counting on you to win people want to see you win and you don't take the necessary steps you don't hold up your end of the bargain there and now you're all of a sudden free falling um free falling to the point where People don't necessarily want to see you anymore. You were on top of the world and now you're not. And I think that is a reason why I'm going to pick Conor McGregor to beat Donald Cerrone. Um, Just because I think McGregor is, is realizing that he needs to keep what got him to his level of fame. He needs to keep, dance with the girl who brought you. Dance, dance with the girl who you came with. Don't try and pick up another thing. When when you're at a dance with somebody, don't try and pick up another girl to dance with. You came with what got you there, so continue to do it. I think now he's realized that he's refocused. He's fighting at one. They're fighting at 170, which is interesting to me because both Cowboy and uh, Connor are small for 170 pounds. Connor's only like five nine, I think. Cerrone's not much taller, and they are very much more natural lightweights. Uh, they fight better at 155 pounds, in my opinion. But they're, they both agreed to fight at 170. And uh, Connor looks really good. He looks in a really good shape. He's one. Of, he was one of the best strikers anyways in the UFC before he went off and boxed Mayweather. Um, he, seeing what he did to guys like Eddie Alvarez, who are multiple-time champions in multiple different promotions, you don't just do that by accident. You don't just show up and outbox Eddie Alvarez like he did and drop him and then beat him for your second title be the first person to win two titles simultaneously in the UFC that doesn't happen by accident so he has the skills and now with him being refocused I do think that it's going to be a tougher night for Cowboy than what people are are expecting and Connor's a big favorite actually in the fight even though he hasn't won in I can't even remember how long. He hasn't won since the Eddie Alvarez fight. He lost to Mayweather, and then he uh, obviously lost to Khabib last year. Looking up the uh, betting line for uh, the fight this weekend. Betting line. 
Conor McGregor is a minus 160 favorite and Cowboy is a plus 130 underdog. Um, actually, that, that was when it was announced. Now Conor is a minus 320 favorite. So he, he's basically jumped up almost, he's basically jumped up two times for for his odds from where he started off, which I think is a little bit interesting because Cowboy has, Cowboy is dangerous. Cowboy has the, I think he has the most fights in UFC history, which when I was talking with Tyler and Rev after the Gunnison Sports Talk radio show today, um, that it convolutes his numbers a little bit. He's had the most fights in the UFC. He has the most wins in the UFC, most finishes, most head kick knockouts, um, most performance of the night bonuses. Cowboy is no joke. Cowboy is a very skilled fighter and would probably be a champion if he didn't take whoever they offered him in to fight. And if he could you know, get over the fact that he's going to be fighting in his hometown and take care of business and beat Rafael Dos Anjos, which I was expecting him to. I wanted him to anyways, but I was expecting him to be able to beat Rafael Dos Anjos in his last title fight and wasn't able to do so. And then he came out against Justin Gaethje, who's an, a monster. Um, I'll claim him just because he went to Northern Colorado. I have a brother at Northern Colorado, obviously. Dom goes to UNC and uh, Gaethje came out and kind of pieced him up a little bit. TKO'd him early in the fight. That was back in September, and Cowboy's already going back and getting ready to fight. Uh, watch the countdown for it for the this weekend, and uh, I think both guys are refocused, and it's going to be a hell of a matchup just because they're two very skilled strikers, and it'll be interesting to see if Cowboy decides to keep it standing where he knows Connor can match him a little bit. I think that Cowboy's a little bit more technical and a little bit... Um, more precise, but Connor has crazy power for a guy that's as, as small as he is. I mean, that punch against Aldo reverberated throughout the entire world, beating a guy who hadn't been beaten in 10 years in four seconds with one punch. The first punch he threw. It's going to be uh, interesting to see what happens this weekend. And it's interesting that they chose this weekend to be when they wanted to have this event because obviously the NFL playoffs are still continuing. The divisional round was crazy. Um, I can get into that a little bit after, but now they have the conference championship games this weekend. And uh, I get it a little bit because this is the first time in three weeks that the NFL doesn't have anything on a Saturday. So they will have Saturday to themselves, but I don't know if people are going to spend the money I think people would rather spend their money if they wanted to buy a ticket to the AFC and NFC Championship games rather than spend the money to buy the pay-per-view on ESPN+. Plus. That's just my two cents. They're probably a lot. They're obviously a lot smarter about business and marketing than I am. Um, Dana White's a hell of a promoter and took what was bought for, I think, about $2 million maybe when the Fertitas bought UFC from the Gracies and turned it into a... I think a $4.5 billion industry when it was sold to WME. Obviously, they don't know what they're doing. It's just interesting. I th- would have thought they wouldn't have wanted to share the weekend with anybody else. But such is life, and they are going to have the the fight this weekend. I will officially pick who I think is going to win on Gunnison Sports Talk Radio on Friday. So that gives you guys a little bit more incentive to listen to that show as well. Um 
it's a lot of fun and we have a great dynamic now with the three of us we're obviously close friends we were in the same position group playing in football so and uh we announced it on the show today but rev won the regular season pick em and the college bowl pick em by six points we each had Clemson winning. We were tied going into the national championship. We each had Clemson winning. I thought that they were going to score about 75 points total in the game. Ended up scoring 69 points in the game instead, and Rev had them at 71. So by virtue of him being closer, he wins. So not only do I have to – we had to come up with a stipulation, and uh, I came up with a stipulation after – in a – sequence in the game in the national championship on Monday where it looked like LSU was going to be able to score and push the point total so I thought I was going to win I thought I had it in the bag I thought you know earlier in the season they were in a four minute drill against Texas and instead of running the ball to run the clock out they threw a pass and ended up getting a 69 yard touchdown which I was kind of thinking that they would do um ended up taking a knee inside the 25 and that was the classier thing to do. But guys who were betting on on the game, like myself and Rev, well, Rev is probably happy with it. I was a little bit unhappy with it. They should have gone and scored again just so that I wouldn't have to do this twice. But uh, one of my favorite movies to watch is uh, Mystery Alaska. It has Russell Crowe in it about a team, a hockey team in Alaska. And... Um, their stipulation for if you talk about something that was discussed in the locker room that people thought was going to be only in the locker room, you have to go in your jockstrap to the lake where they play their games, the frozen lake, and slide across the ice into a snowbank in nothing but your jockstrap. Now, we don't have, well, I mean, we do have a frozen lake, but I don't know how to ice skate. I'm not really looking to go out on a frozen lake, but we do have plenty of snowbanks. And uh, I have some pretty skimpy workout shorts. And the the stipulation for me losing both the regular season pick'em and the bowl pick'em is I'm going to have to jump into a snowbank in shorts and nothing else. Twice. Not just once, twice. This is why I don't gamble with money because I I suck at gambling anyways. I basically have a curse, I think, running over me that whoever I think is going to win is just going to lose because I, I have no clue why it's in place, but it is in place because this is the second time that I'm going to have to do something like this and uh, I'm not too happy about it. I think that it'll be good content and it'll be fun for people to watch me get humiliated and shamed as a guy who's been very outspoken about wanting to be in sports media and then losing not just once but twice, and possibility of losing three times. We're going to have the same stipulation set up for the Super Bowl. We're going to come up with the criteria that we're going to be betting on, and then the person who has the least amount of wins will have to jump in the snowbank in their shorts again. But, uh, yeah, that's going to be my fun for the for the week. But like I said, I'll announce who's going to be my pick for the UFC fight this weekend, Friday on Gunnison Sports Talk Radio. So uh, if you want to listen live and you're able to, you can listen if you're in the Valley on KWSB 91.1 FM or you can search KWSB on the TuneIn app. 
if you're not in range of the radio signal. Um, we're It'll be live from 11 to noon is our new time slot for the semester, um, or I'll have that recording up um, before 5 that day uh, of the show so that people who weren't able to listen live can go back and catch up on all the stuff that we talked about. So uh, that's when I'll announce my prediction for the fight this weekend. Um, and I guess quickly we'll wrap this up by talking about the NFL divisional playoffs. What a weekend it was. Um, Kirk Cousins tried to juke everybody out and show that maybe he is an elite quarterback and can win the big games. Going into New Orleans and beating a very good Saints team, which I thought they were going to get killed there, but they didn't. Ended up pulling away that victory in the wild card round. And uh, went over to San Francisco, who I think is probably the most talented team in the entire NFL that's left. They're not necessarily the most explosive team, but defensively they have Nick Bosa, DeForest Buckner, Solomon Thomas, who was a first-round pick two years ago, was relegated to a backup because they've just drafted so well after the year that he was drafted, been able to build up a couple different positions in free agency. They have Richard Sherman, who's at corner, and even though he's the biggest loudmouth I think I have ever remembered in the NFL. He's still top three corner in the league, um, top five DB corner and safety in the league. So they're very talented, and they took care of business against Minnesota. Their defensive line introduced themselves to Kirk Cousins a lot. The Minnesota offensive line looked like they weren't even there. So that was, you know, par for the course. I don't think many people thought that Kirk Cousins was going to be able to lead the Vikings to two upset wins in a row. Um, but they, they ended up losing 27-10. So that's all fine and good. At this point, I'm getting ready to... Uh, we're about to finish the women's basketball broadcast um, last Saturday and getting ready to transition over into the men's game. And I look on ESPN, all of a sudden... Here come the big bad Ravens, number one seed in the AFC, had the best record of any team in the NFL, 12, uh, 14 and two, and uh, the nine and seven Titans who didn't even win their own division. The Houston Texans won their division. Go into Baltimore in the playoffs against the mo- the likely MVP front runner, likely person who's going to win the MVP in Lamar Jackson, guy who's revolutionized the NFL. And the Titans punch them square in the mouth. Not only do they out-physical the, ti- the Ravens, who have been basically beating people up all season, but they they beat them at home in the playoffs, and they're a sixth seed. The Titans are a sixth seed in the AFC. Go in and beat the number one seed. Now, it's, it's happened before, but not in this dominant of a fashion. I, I think it was 28 to, uh, 28 to 10, maybe. I'm looking up the score right now. But Tannehill didn't even throw Tannehill, the quarterback for the Titans, didn't even throw for a hundred yards. Didn't I think he had two touchdowns. But he only threw for like seventy eight yards. Meanwhile, Lamar Jackson's over there. They the Titans won twenty eight to twelve. Meanwhile, Lamar Jackson is going off um after, you know, struggling in the beginning. Threw for three hundred sixty five yards, a touchdown, and um ran for another 143 he was tearing up the titans defense but the he had two interceptions which basically cost them the game 28 to 12 basically a two possession game 
Um, and that was probably the biggest upset the entire weekend. I didn't think it wasn't the most shocking thing that happened the entire weekend in the NFL playoffs, but it was the biggest upset just because nobody expected the Ravens to have even a challenge until they went to the Super Bowl. I mean, the the Chiefs did beat the Ravens earlier in the season, and Patrick Mahomes is a, a cheat code in itself. Um, Lamar Jackson is a, a pretty big cheat code, but Patrick Mahomes is, is nothing to, to sneeze at, and he proved that too. We, we can go ahead and move on to that game. The Texans get up on the Chiefs in Kansas City, at the end of the first quarter. People are leaving Arrowhead Stadium because their Chiefs, the number one seed in the AFC, are, or the number two seed in the AFC, are getting beat up by a Texans team and Deshaun Watson. And they gave up as many points as they probably could have in the first quarter. I'm texting Christian about the game and saying, oh, wow, this improved quote-unquote improved Chiefs defense just gave up 24 points in 15 minutes what the hell's going on are all the home teams just going to lose this weekend besides San Francisco what what's going on and just about at that point the Chiefs decide oh yeah I forgot we were playing a game let me go ahead and just uh roll you over and spank you really nice on your ass Houston and they gave they scored they had covered the lead that the Texans had. They they had built a comeback and retaken the lead in three minutes. And then not only that, they go on and just pound them even further and end up winning 51-31. The Texans only scored one other touchdown after the first quarter. And it wasn't even a touchdown. They kicked two field goals. But talk about just asserting your dominance and showing another team that they are nowhere close to competing with you. As good as the Texans were this season, and they were good and bad, they were spotty at, at, at times. Just have to watch the Bronco game to see how spotty they were. Um, but just Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid, Travis Kelsey, and Tyreek Hill, as much as I hate Tyreek Hill, just showed the Texans, hey, you guys are nowhere close to being anywhere near as good as we are, so uh, let's just stop messing around. And uh, we're going to move on, and you guys can just go home. That's basically what Mahomes did uh, to the Texans. And then the Packers beat the Seahawks. I think the Seahawks were there. Them being in this round of the playoffs was an aberration. They weren't nearly as good as their record would indicate. Um, they were 11-5 and in the regular season. That's basically because they, only, they have one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Russell Wilson, as awkward as he is, is one of the best quarterbacks in the league. And... Um, DK Metcalf played a lot better than I expected him to. I didn't think that he was going to be that good after watching his combine Um, because a lot of the times the people that are just athletic freaks like that don't do well in a football game because football is not for the best athlete. Football is for the best football player who is also a good athlete, Um, and he played really well. So the Seahawks have some things in place, and they have Bobby Wagner, obviously, on the defensive side of the ball. They had Jadavian Clowney, but Jadavian Clowney's kind of hit or miss as to how well he's going to play. But uh, people are upset about the the Packers game-clinching first down. Nobody thinks that Jimmy Graham actually got the first down. Um, 
but I, I don't think that it would have mattered. I think the Packers were the better team, and these are the two best matchups that you could have gotten in the AFC Championship because the Titans play a style of football where they try and keep the ball away from the other person as much as possible. Two weeks ago, they went into New England and beat the greatest quarterback of all time and made him look silly and didn't give him the ball. I think they had the ball for at least 45 minutes of a 60-minute game. And now you have the Chiefs who can just prove that they can score with anybody. And they, they've been one of the top offenses the last two years. And I think if it wasn't Andy Reid coaching and if it wasn't Kansas City, I would give them the edge in that game. But honestly, I could really easily see the Titans coming away with that victory. So um, that'll be an interesting game to watch. And then the NFC Championship, Packers, 49ers, not as great of a matchup, but it's tough to beat a team two times in a year, especially when you dominated the first time like that. Maybe the Packers weren't showing anything. Maybe Matt LaFleur is showing um, a little bit more coaching prowess than we expected from a rookie head coach and decided just to be conservative, knew he was going to win the division, um, knew he still had the chance to get a first-round bye, even if they didn't beat San Francisco in the regular season. Uh, but I, it's tough for me to see anybody beating San Francisco because they are, as a team, playing as well as anybody right now. But I think that's just about going to do it this week on Center of Attention. Thank you guys for listening to me talk to myself for about an hour and 15 minutes. I, I enjoy, like I said, I love doing this. Um, this show will be, show is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, and uh, uh, I'm not sure if there's another one. Basically, anywhere you can find a podcast, the pod this is the show is available. And um, it'd be if you do enjoy listening and you listen on Spotify, please go follow the show on Spotify so the shows pop up automatically in your feed. Um, if you're on a, the other po- platforms, subscribe to the show. The episodes will automatically download to your phone. And uh, then you can listen and don't have to worry about remembering to download the episodes. Um, And then if you like it, share it to a friend. Like I said, put it on your social media if you're so inclined. But just tell people that you do enjoy the show so we can build up up this audience, build up this stable of stallions, as I think I might call it from now on. But then uh, you can follow me on Twitter, at Jimmy Pilato. My Facebook is just Jimmy Pilato if you want to reach out there. And then Instagram is at Proud underscore WAP. This will all be in the description of the episode. But thank you guys again for listening, and I'll be back with you next week for another episode of Center of Attention. Peace. you